Bruce, uh, we don't consult. I, I try not to tell him, actually, um, because I like the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that what is going to be said is from him. And I really see that. You'll see why. No Jim today. They're on vacation. Let's pray for them. Um, there are phrases in the Bible that seems loud um, that I like. One of them is um, Cooper Haymon. I did a sermon on that one time. It means for us in our place, in our stead, as our substitute. And there's another one I like, but now, Noony Day. It sounds like new day, doesn't it? The noonies is the now, the day is the but, but anyhow. Noonie day. Another one that's closely tied to it is, but God. And another one is, but when. Another one is, but in these last days. So what it means, when you see a but now, it means there was there were two states that are contrasted, one in the past, and one now. A change has occurred. There was a state before, but something has happened. Something transformational. Something big to alter that state. It's a new day. It's a new day. I guess you should listen to it in the songs too. Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now. I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So um, there was a great but now in history in Jesus, in the new covenant, and the inauguration of the kingdom of God. Those but nows are the basis for our but nows as individuals and as a corporate body. The but now we experience changes who we are and how we live. And there's another but now coming. So did Jesus come announcing a new day? Yeah, what did he say? Repent. Change your mind. Get with the program. There's a new day coming called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is near. Get ready by returning to God with all your heart. Show your earnestness by being baptized. Don't miss what's coming. It's big. It's what we've been praying for and waiting for for centuries, literally. And how did he describe the change that was going to occur? The kingdom of God. After he had risen, what did he spend his time talking with his disciples about for those 40 days? The kingdom of God. Paul, at the end of Acts, he's in Rome. What is he talking about? The kingdom of God. So, when they asked him, they asked Jesus right before he ascended uh, about the kingdom, was he going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
So they asked him about the kingdom. He directed them to the coming of the Holy Spirit, and I think it's because they're connected. Um, And he was directing them beyond Israel to the ends of the earth. They were thinking too small. That change that uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit reminds me of John 7:37. Jesus said, "Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water." This spake he of the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, what kind of change does he compare it to? Gushers coming, living water coming out of people's heart. That's a big change. And it wasn't like that before. That's what John tells you. He said, Spirit hadn't yet been given in this way. And that didn't happen until what? Jesus was glorified. So, Jesus also said, If by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a relationship between the activity of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God. Now, what did Jesus' audience understand when he said kingdom of God? Well, they were thinking that the Messiah King would come and defeat the Romans and liberate Israel from their rule and their tyranny and establish an independent, prosperous state of Israel. They would rule over their enemies. They were looking for a nationalist king messiah. They were thinking too small. What should they have been thinking? Well, a thousand years before Jesus, God made a promise to King David. And he said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring or your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The Jews at the time of Jesus did understand that the Messiah would be a descendant of David who would establish a forever kingdom. One of the titles for Jesus, people called him this, was Son of David. It's a messianic title. Now, 400 years after David, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a figure in history, we have some of the stuff that he did, and even some of the monuments that he erected. He had a dream, and this is the dream. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. But the stone that struck the mount, the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So how did the great mountain that filled the whole earth start? Come on, my, my kids can answer this. <laughs> uh, someday we'll get back to it. It started as a stone. Just a little stone, but it became a great mountain. Don't be fooled by the size of the beginning of the kingdom of God. Mustard seed, leaven, start small, don't worry about it. It's not the end. 
The end is a great mountain that will fill the earth. Uh, some people look at prophecy, they take it literally, they say a stone hasn't struck a mountain, therefore this thing hasn't happened. They miss the idea of metaphor, they miss the idea of apocalyptic genre. But thankfully, Daniel here gives us the interpretation. In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Then Daniel had a dream. Daniel himself had a dream. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. How did Jesus like to refer to himself? Son of man. What was he talking about? Daniel. Son of man, Messiah, king. Uh, this, this person, the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, which can be translated Gentiles, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. One like the Son of Man would come before the Ancient of Days, and he would be given a kingdom. What do the people who do who are in this, this kingdom? They serve him. Was the kingdom of God just for Israel? No, look at this scripture. All people, nations, Gentiles, languages, it is an international kingdom and it is a forever kingdom. Praise God, because I'm not Jewish. I've had my DNA checked. I don't have any of it in there. I'm a total Gentile. The Old Testament promised a new covenant, which is related to the kingdom of God. And you're familiar with the scripture in Jeremiah 31, where God says, Behold, the days are coming. There will be a new day, a noony day, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And this is the covenant, not like the covenant I made before at Sinai. Why? Because they broke that covenant, even though I was a husband to them. So it's not like that covenant. He says, this is the new covenant. Uh, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall one teach his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. They're all going to know me from the least to the greatest. Uh, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. So God was telling Israel that the Sinai covenant was temporary. There was a new one coming, one which would involve a heart change and true knowledge of God for everyone and significantly forgiveness of sins. There's a parallel scripture in Ezekiel 36. It adds something else to this picture. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In this new day, the new covenant, first you get a heart transplant. Why? Because the problem all along has been a heart problem. Why is our society a mess? Heart problem. 
Um, so this is a pretty big deal when God says this heart covenant, I'm going to make it a covenant of the heart. A lot of Jesus' ethic, look at the Sermon on the Mount, has to do with the heart. So Jesus warned that the kingdom would start small like a mustard seed, like leaven. It would be somewhat hidden, like a treasure in a field or a pearl of great price. Don't let the size of it in the beginning fool you, nor its hiddenness. Because um, it has great value, and it's just getting started. Before the kingdom of God could come, there would have to be a new covenant that required a great but now in human history. It was actually about God. Uh, Acts 13, Paul preaching. says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him, and though they found him not, not guilty, they found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God. But God. Raised him from the dead. And there's a bunch of those. I don't have time to go through them all. In the same sermon, Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That first covenant didn't get it done. So he made a new one. Through Jesus comes forgiveness of sins and freedom. How does it come? Well, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because everyone that's hanged on a tree is a curse. He was hanged on a tree for a purpose. That in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is the blessing of Abraham? The spirit. So it all starts with the but God. Here's another one. Men of Israel, listen to these words. This is uh, Acts 2. Jesus of the Nazarene, a man attested you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. He's preaching here, and he's, he's saying, you want to know, and here's what I say, you want to know how or why Christianity grew so big? Well, the stuff really went down. And that's why Peter could say, you know it. And no one could argue with him, because it really went down. Um, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That's why we're reformed. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. This is our state before the but now, in prison under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, this is the state before, 
we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until, implying a but now, Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now, that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. But when Christ appeared, this is Hebrews, it's a but when, but it's, you know what I mean. Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, that have come actually, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. It's a secure redemption. Why? It doesn't depend on us, it depends on what he did for us. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, which is the kingdom of God. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. The death and resurrection of Jesus was a game changer. It was, yeah, it was the turning point of history. It inaugurated the new covenant and the kingdom of God. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Each in his own order. This is Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians. Christ the first, this is eschatology. Okay, this is what goes down. In Adam all die, and Christ all be made alive. Each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. That's already happened. And then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And what happens after that? Seven years of tribulation? Then a thousand years of millennium? No. Then comes the end. It's very simple. Get the resurrect. You got the resurrection of Jesus. You got our resurrection. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. <laughs> right, Bruce. For he must reign until there is another change, another but now coming. He he must reign. And he is reigning now until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy is death. Notice he's reigning even now, though he has enemies. Well, there's enemies out there, right? That doesn't mean he's not reigning. Just because there are enemies of God out there does not mean he's not reigning. What is their future? They will be a footstool for his feet. Yeah. That's said many times in the New Testament, actually. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is Revelation 11. There were loud voices in heaven, and they were saying this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. The but now of Jesus is the basis of the but now of the new covenant and the kingdom of God, and it's the basis of our, our but nows, Right? Um, as individuals and as a corporate body. So who were you before? And part of why I went this direction is in the Ephesians that we're studying on Wednesday. There's some, there's a but God, right? And then in verse 13, there's a but now. So this kind of fits. Ephesians 2. Who were you? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were the walking dead. 
Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Everybody starts there, everybody needs them, but now. Kids, you kids, you need a but now in your life. Um, You want to live your life as the walking empty dead in the passions of your mind and of your body? Or do you want to live in the blessing and the adventure of this kingdom? The kingdom of God. So who are you now and why? Well, in verse 4 it says, But God, I don't know the hand signals, <laughs> but, uh, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, remember that you were the state before the but now, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Peter tells us who we are now. This is corporate. You know, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, for his own possessions that you may, this is our purpose, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, but now into light. His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the but now of our lives changes how we live. Ephesians 5. It's a lot of word. <laughs> but for at one time, you were darkness. It's like Peter says, you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here, uh, Paul says, you were darkness, but now. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Yes, Lord, give us discernment. Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now, kind of, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down on the throne as Messiah King at the right hand of the majesty on high. Until. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, it's more excellent than theirs. And he goes on in the same chapter. Don't have time to read it, but you can. God the Father says to Jesus, You are my son, let angels worship him. Understanding only God can be worshipped. He says, Your throne, addressing him as king, 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. The Lord, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Is your picture of Jesus that he's the happiest person, happier than anyone you've ever met? Well, if not, you don't have the right picture because that's what that says. The oil of gladness above his companions. The Chosen's pretty good. It gives us, I don't know if you watched that one, but it gives kind of a, a good uh, view of Jesus. He also says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He goes on to say, Jesus is the great sacrifice. He's the high priest. He inaugurates a better covenant. It's in a better temple, the temple made without hands, exalted in the heavens. So why do I say this? We are in a time of shaking, right? Stuff is shaking. Uh, and Hebrews 12 talks about it. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We've got a couple problems right now. The virus has upset our lives, one. And two, the foundations of our country are being attacked. If you watch the news, you will be tempted to be anxious, nervous, fearful, angry, depending on your personality. And I have a message for you. For not, fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. At a time like this, it is needful to remember that Jesus is on the throne, waiting until all his enemies be made a footstool for his feet, and they will be. And to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith and of our salvation. I love this country. I think it's the best system that has ever been devised by man. In part because the people who set it up uh, were steeped in the Christian worldview. It saddens me greatly to see it being attacked and destroyed. I will fight and pray and vote to see that doesn't happen. But as I fight and pray, I have a sick feeling in my gut because I'm aware that many in this country have left the Christian worldview. Right? They have forsaken the fountain of living waters and are trying to hew off for them 
self-cisterns that hold no water. They are trying to build a utopian tower of Babel. It's not going to work. Do we as a country deserve to prosper? Are we praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Are we working to that end? No. We don't deserve the blessing. That's why I pray for mercy. I pray for mercy upon us. But, and the fact that Jesus, King Jesus is reigning is not just about blessing. It is blessing on his faithful people. It is also defeat, destruction, and judgment on his enemies. We are saved through judgment. All deliverance is salvation through judgment, beginning with the, well, the Exodus, even Jesus. I mean, he was judged, uh, took the curse upon him. So there's always salvation and judgment are together. God is glorified in both. But that's kind of scary. <laughs> so our God is not a doting grandfather. He is a consuming fire. And he saves through judgment. You can be his servant or you can be his enemy. At the same time, there has been a but now in history. Jesus was raised from the dead. He is king. He is seated on his throne. He is reigning. He is not nervous. We know that none of the kingdoms of this world will stand. They will all perish, including the United States of America. Right? So where is your allegiance? But it's okay because the kingdom that will stand is the one that cannot be shaken, the one that will be there when the dust settles, the kingdom of God. Our primary allegiance is to that kingdom. This settles us. This gives us peace. It enables us to not get nervous and fearful. For Jesus has said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you will be okay. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient unto the day is its own trouble. I have said these things to you, Jesus said, that in me you may have shalom, peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Peace. Shalom, I leave with you my peace. I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Things were bad, but God, but God did something wonderful in Jesus, and he changed our lives and the world, and he's not done yet. His purposes will stand, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. We will be raised from the grave, and creation will be renewed, and we will live with him and with one another, and we will toast our glass of wine in the kingdom. That's your future, and that's forever. Therefore, we have hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that even though we human beings had made a mess of the, this world, and our lives, 
You came, it was a great, but now by your words and your work and your crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, you changed things forever, enabling us to have our personal, but now's, heart transformation, power to think clearly, and live fruitful lives. We pray that every, everyone in the sound of my voice, especially the kids, will have a personal, but now, where they are born again to new life, in a new day, a new day. In these troubled times, help us to be like the men of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what the people of God should do. Don't let us be fooled by the godless worldview, the great lie that is now being vocalized out there. Give us discernment. Don't let us sleep at this time. Help us to know how to respond and how to speak to our culture. Raise up your people and give some of them a microphone to bring sanity to our nation. Have mercy upon us. Blow on us with the wind of your spirit and send revival. That's what we need. Revive us, Lord. Through it all, help us to seek your kingdom first, to fix our eyes on you as your servants, to follow you, to walk with you, to be a blessing for those around us for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. All right, you know, you guys know communion. You, I think everybody here knows how to do it. If I can do it. Jesus uh, met with his disciples to celebrate Passover, which itself is great, but now in history, right? where God took his people out of bondage in Egypt, made them a nation, gave them his law, his covenant, and uh, brought them into the promised land. And at the Passover, a lamb would be sacrificed. In this meal, Jesus announced, but now he was the lamb. The blood was his blood, not lamb's blood. The bread was his body, He was the sacrifice which would free his people from their sins. And this is the basis of the new covenant and the basis of the kingdom of God, the kingdom which he inaugurated, one which will be consummated, to which Jesus refers in this meal twice. He says, I won't drink this again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of my Father. So the communion liturgy this morning is from Luke 22. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come. Uh, Twice, he says it. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, for you is the new covenant in my blood. Yeah, come on up. <clears throat> 